The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Great to be with you on a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We're back in studio. Busy day yesterday, an abbreviated showdown at Pinnacle Bank Arena, a couple of basketball games. Uh, we're loaded up today, man. I'm going to talk uh, all things uh, Nebraska basketball, some football thoughts. As I know we're a ways away from spring ball, but some cool topics to get into in regards to Nebraska football. We'll spend some time with Mr. Husker football, Mike Babcock, going to be with us in about 20 minutes. Husker baseball also around the corner. Nebraska, Iowa on the hardwood tomorrow in Iowa City. I know we didn't get a chance to get a, a ton of time into Nebraska's, we can say whacking, since it, it, it was Rutgers and there's a little Jersey, Jersey Sopranos flavor there. Uh, Nebraska's whacking of, of Rutgers. We won't spend a ton of time on that, but I think the um, <laughs> the mood and the vibe for Nebraska basketball fans is is really cool because you've won two straight. You feel pretty good about your program uh, with the last two games. And quite honestly, the way they've been playing the last few games. We'll hear from Andy Markowski, the pride of Ord, Husker standout and assistant with Pious Girls Basketball. Hard-fought win for Pious Girls in the opening round, Class A State 2021. So, Mr. Markowski, in an hour, uh, Shuey will join us. We'll spend some more time on Tiger. And then kind of a, a, a recap slash look ahead also with Dr. Doug Tavis when it comes to Tiger. So, golf on our mind as well. Numbers to get in, 466-3776-466-37-76-800-825-5865. Email chris at hailvarsity.com. There's Elijah Herbal. Find him on Twitter at Herbal Essence. Find me, Chris Schmidt, at Schmidt underscore radio. So there's a hundred different ways we can go. And I want to start off with a little bit of, of recruiting and football, get into some basketball, and then uh, kind of revisit some some comments from Grant Wistrom. When it comes to medical marijuana, right? Because you had uh, um, uh, Governor Ricketts kind of throw out his uh, take in opposition in an op-ed with the Hastings Tribune end of February. You have some some pretty prominent pro marijuana, pro medical marijuana. Let me make that clear. Pro medical marijuana voices uh, respond with with an op ed. Uh, one of those voices, Grant Wistrom, friend of the show. So his take on things. We'll revisit that too to to dive into the weeds. A little pun intended there. So Elijah, all right. Level of concern, my friend, with 
2022 recruiting for Nebraska. I'll go first. You say yay or nay. And I guess, listen, I look at what Nebraska's done from a recruiting standpoint, how well they finished this year without any visits. Every time we turn around, the NCAA's pushing back the ability for coaches to leave campus uh, or athletes and their availability to go officially visit. That hasn't happened, right? It hasn't happened for a year. And things are pushed back to the end of May. Does it get revisited uh, with COVID and vaccinations and travel and restrictions? And it's state by state, right? It is what it is. So the fact that Nebraska does not have any commitments for 2022, probably a little surprising based on how well they've done, because a year ago at this time, they were able to at least get some commitments. But I'm not worried. I think Nebraska's staff uh, can recruit well. They recruited exceptionally well uh, with this pandemic. I like the class they have for 2020 and uh, 2021. Now, what, what happens with 2022? Quarterback is my concern, okay? Because you always got an out-of-quarterback. It's just part of the business. You've seen Nebraska lose uh, McCaffrey. And Nebraska's been fairly immune to quarterback departures. You, you just have been uh, throughout the history of the program. A lot of good kids have stayed. I think of Jerry Godowski that waited his turn behind Steve Taylor. And, and Steve Taylor was great. Uh, I look at Brooke Behringer, of course, behind Tommy Frazier. Brooke stayed and, and did uh, more, than, more than a solid for the football program. Uh, I look at the, the Newcomb Crouch dynamic. We can go down the list, right? And, and I look at, you know, the McCaffrey situation where he's going to go give it a shot at Louisville. So you got Adrian Martinez. We don't know how healthy Adrian Martinez is from freshman year Adrian to what is uh, junior year, Adrian, right, when it comes to throwing the football and the wear and tear and mileage he's put on his body. So that leaves you with the, the Smothers question that none of us have seen throw. So if we can watch spring football, what's his um, passing acumen going to be like? We know the kid can run. Uh, you have Harburg that's got great size and could really be developed. I don't worry that Nebraska's got a kid they think can play quarterback. How does the quarterback position set up in reference to the rest of the Big Ten moving forward, right? Because you've had quarterbacks in this league either manage or go win you some ball games. But Nebraska's had quarterback play in the Big Ten when it comes to turnovers, and this spans going into season 11, that, that has cost Nebraska games. Not quarterback specifically, but turnovers on offense. So quarterback's big to me. Nebraska's put out offers to the top 15 quarterbacks in the country and six have committed uh, and and three of the uh, this top 15 on top of the six I've talked about so a total of nine uh, either are not interested in Nebraska or Nebraska's not on their air quote top five and we've talked about uh, Tavion Jackson out of Indiana we liked his film we talked about Connor Harrell can out of Alabama he kind of wowed us uh, and then you got MJ Morris, kids out of Atlanta, Angeles out of New Jersey, and Bianco's out of Hawaii. There are options there. What's the gap like between these top kids that are going to Bama or Clemson or pick a school 
and the kids at Nebraska is still in the hunt on. I think Nebraska will find a quarterback. Are they getting what's available? Are they settling for 2022? Or are they quite happy with who they end up getting? I think I think it'll be a situation where Nebraska will find a quarterback they like, and it's their job to develop them. It's their job to keep them healthy. Because I believe this offense, this head coach, and this quarterback coach, and the offensive coordinator with Coach Lubick, I think all parties can work to having a really good quarterback. Is he going to be a Johnny Football, a guy that Frost recruited? Is he going to be a Johnny Man, uh, a, a Marcus Mariota? Is he going to be a Mackenzie Milton? That's a big ask. But some of those guys were either A, under the radar, or B, just three stars. They were, if you look back at the recruiting rankings for quarterbacks, they were all top 20 guys, or at least in that top 20, top 30. But boy, did they hit and mesh. And it really worked out well for that quarterback reputation that Frost has had during his time in college. So uh, I'm in wait-and-see mode. That's not a hot take. That's not Kool-Aid drinking either. I'm just wait-and-see mode. And I'm really in wait-and-see mode on on what you have here with the Nebraska current quarterback situation. I guess I'm not I'm not worried about 2022. Let's see how 2021 looks out with your quarterback play. And what's what's fun about recruiting quarterbacks and what's also painful and awful about recruiting quarterbacks is it's more of a crapshoot than any other position. I mean, recruiting every single position is a bit of a crapshoot. You're going to have five stars, high four stars who flop and you're going to have two and three star guys who really pop. And it's no different. You're going to have your Deshaun Watson. Yeah, look at the (laughs) the top five quarterbacks in the draft this year. Two of them, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, were heralded and all all these great things in high school, five stars. They lived up to the hype. But on the other hand, or on the other side of things, on the other hand, you still have guys like uh, Tate Martell. Went to Ohio State as the number one quarterback, number one player in the country. Flopped at Ohio State, is now flopped at Miami, and he's on to his third school. Mm -hmm. He's a flake, bro. Yeah. He's a flake, and he's a flake on social media asking for some Nebraska love back when A&M was in on him. Yeah. He wants the attention. He yeah. may he may be talented. He may be good. But, yeah, what do you get in personality with maturity-wise, yeah, right? But, and then you look at the, the other three top five quarterbacks in the draft, and Mac Jones, Trey Lance, and Zach Wilson. All three of those guys were three-star recruits coming out of high school. And they ended up being some of the top quarterbacks in college, and they're going to be a first they're all going to be first round draft picks this year top 10 pick especially with the quarterback position it's it's about developing what you got and it's not necessarily about the stars so if nebraska's in on all these top 15 quarterbacks okay it's more about the right fit and the right guy to come in and run your offense than it is about going and offering the top talents quote unquote because it really is a crapshoot at quarterback well and, and that's just it right when you go go get it's either five star or five years says jimmy walden Am I getting a quarterback that is super high level like Trevor Lawrence that midway through his freshman year took over the starting job and catapulted Clemson to a a championship run? Okay. Clemson was going to win a lot of ball games. Clemson was going to win uh, the ACC. Clemson was going to go to the playoff. Were they going to win the playoff without making a switch at quarterback? Oh, and by the way, they they switched out a guy who had just gotten them to the playoff that transferred to Missouri. Okay, so what are we asking for here? I think you're asking for get you eight or get get me some 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 uh, wins in the West, uh, take care of the football, uh, be durable, and let's go bowling. Right, that's your ask right now for whoever your current Nebraska quarterback is, 
and it's your ask for the next Nebraska quarterback, whether he's to be recruited or he's getting developed. But you're going to offer these high-level dudes because they can ball. They look good. Nothing's a certainty. But, man, you're starting out on the uh, the old shoots and ladder board way ahead of the starting point if you get this level of talent come in and just kind of rock. Uh, other, otherwise, you wait and develop, and then it hits like a Wilson at BYU, like a Trey Lance, all right, uh, just just to name a couple of guys that were that under the radar. Yeah, he could max out and be a, a, a first-round guy. He's got the talent. What's the makeup, the ability, and uh, and how does he translate? So uncertainty is the theme, but it's it's the, the reality is this. What kind of coaching are you going to get? Uh, where does the kid go from a development, mental, and physical standpoint in a Power 5 league like the Big Ten? I'm okay. I think Nebraska needs to find their guy, and if that guy's also the same kid Alabama wants, great. If he's a kid that they beat out somebody that's a little further under the radar, but damn, it could be a nice fit. I'm all right with that, too. Think back to, to Taylor Martinez, right? And think how how big of a gamble it was to turn a kid that's just got insane straight line speed, not a lot of wiggle, but pretty tough and could just fly and and was a weird-looking thrower but was good enough off of play action, right? I mean, we, we can bag on Taylor going Uncle Rico, but he was an okay thrower, right? He, he was more than serviceable, and they won a lot of ball games with him. But he was, he was catching the football as a scout team guy. He was a wide receiver. So they said, all right, dude. Uh, go, go play quarterback, go run the football, make some plays, throw in the ball. There you go. Red zone, there's too many interceptions to count. Bless his heart. Uh, that, that, that were no good for Nebraska in some big games that they just lost. But, man, they were, uh, they were pretty, pretty blessed to have a guy like that as an athlete playing quarterback. Sometimes you gotta, you got to gamble is my point at quarterback. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying about it's about fit. I mean, you look at – Tom Brady in New England wasn't the most talented quarterback coming out of the draft. You can see the talent now. But he went to a system and a coach that he fit well with. I can say the same about Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if Patrick Mahomes would be Patrick Mahomes if he was playing for the Bears. Patrick it, it, Mahomes would have an ice, ice pack on his <laughs> knees and, 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 and be weeping, quite honestly. I mean, it's all about finding the guy that is going to come in and he meshes well with the coach, meshes well with the teammates, uh, is going to take that step. And I think quarterback especially is a position where – if you're not getting one of the top 15 guys in the country, it's perfectly okay because it is all about just finding the right guy. And I think Scott has to learn which guy is going to is gonna fit right for his system within the Big Ten. I, I think it's one thing to fit Scott Frost's system, and we've seen other positions mm-hmm. along the offense, running back in particular, that a guy that fits Scott Frost's system at UCF isn't going to fit Scott Frost's system at, at Nebraska. And I think quarterback should be included on that list as one of the positions that he's still trying to figure out what type of guy he needs to bring in to run the offense. Well, who can you get? Who can you land? And mm-hmm. what can you develop? Last thought here. We'll get to Mike Babcock and hit some Husker baseball and some some hoops as well. What would, uh, what would Tommy Armstrong's athleticism and ability look like in the Frost offense? I mean, like Tommy ran some pro style in high school and did okay and was nice off of play action. And and Tommy, when he wanted to throw it, really could sting. I remember the, the Miami game, right? And I remember the USC game, too. I remember that, that, that holiday bowl where the kid threw for like 340 yards and was so good on the run and was tough and was mobile and uh, just could do so many things well 
the UCLA Foster Farms game, right, when you kind of meshed in some running with the throwing part. But, it, 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 you know, just to kind of transplant his skill set in this Frost offense, and I think Oregon was, was interested in, in Tommy Armstrong anyway uh, as a potential quarterback. But just thinking out loud, I mean, just going back over some of the quarterbacks Nebraska's had, I mean, Tommy was a nine-win uh, quarterback one year, and he gets a lot of hell. But, man, uh, from, a, from a durability standpoint and being able to get the ball downfield, right, uh, you, you want to see that back in the offense. Adrian is a guy that I think can have a really nice junior season, and it, it all comes down to his health, and I think that health is a big-time positive or, or negative on his confidence. Because if you're hearing the chirping and you're not winning and as a starter, your record's what it is, you've done a lot of really good things and you're a talented quarterback, but you've, you've got it out a lot and you've not been right physically uh, for a lot of your career. Mike Babcock's on the way with Hale Varsity. And we're back. Fellas, think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Thanks for spending time. Wednesday edition, Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Babbers, I thought of you, bud. I was flipping through Twitter at halftime yesterday of one of the ball games I was calling, and I love memes. And there was a picture of the great John Wooden on a knee with his whiteboard kind of staring into Bill Walton's eyes. And Bill had his his palms open, kind of sitting up on the bench. And the caption was, Bill, now's not the time to, to, to do a Grateful Dead sing-along. And the caption response was, but, but it's trucking, coach. So I, I kind of <laughs> giggled about that with... The Grateful Dead reference, Babbers. Uh, uh, the ultimate, the ultimate fan. He had the money and he traveled around with them. Well, I heard. I remember a story. Luke Walton was doing a sit down, and this after one of the one of the, uh, the the Laker titles he had won. And you know, Luke's getting home from basketball, probably in high school, or well, probably not high school, but Luke's a young kid, right? And in the backyard, like there's a, there's a naked Jerry Garcia walking. To uh, from the pool to the to the uh, cabana, and there's you know there's little old Luke Walton and and there's you know half of the dead in, in Bill's backyard just waking up from from probably sleeping under the stars the night before. No, brother, uh, you know I've read uh, Bill Walton's uh, autobiography. I you know I kind of I, I I hope that his his relationship with his family was was. Uh, not disrupted by his love of the Grateful Dead, it, you know. It, uh, <laughs> he. Uh, I don't know if it was disrupted, but it was just part one, one big, uh, one big happy family, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he even traveled to Egypt. I think when they played there. Wow, well, that's pretty cool. You and yeah, you and uh, you and uh, uh, Walton need to sit down and talk Grateful Dead sometime. <laughs> no, I'd be on the periphery when it comes to a guy like that. Uh, Mike, let's uh, get into some Nebraska basketball. Let's keep with the the hoops theme and uh, optimism level. Are you feeling better about the the end of the basketball season versus maybe some of the fans even a week ago just wishing for the end of the season? Well, you know, it, it just seems like they have stretches where they play together 
for longer periods of time. You know, by that I mean they're passing the ball and they're moving and they're, you know, trying to find the open shot. And the last couple of games, uh, they've started a little bit different lineup at the beginning. And those guys have gotten them off to a good start and they've maintained that pace. Although, they're, they're you know, there have been stretches where it doesn't, it doesn't hold, but mm-hmm. but there have been fewer, I think, is my sense. And uh, there's less uh, of just uh, bring the ball down one-on-one, go after it, and see what you can do kind of a thing. And I think that's why the, why they've been successful. Um, I, I think they've got probably the talent to do it, but they have to uh, pass the ball and move and, and do some things like that. And, you know... Uh, Derek Walker really uh, gave him a boost in the last game, mm-hmm. uh, playing in the post and uh, offensively as, as well as uh, uh, defensively and rebounding. So, you know, some pieces are kind of coming together. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, I hope people don't just put it all on, uh, well, you know, they didn't have Teddy Allen because um, he, uh, he didn't play a lot in the last game mm-hmm. the, before he, he left the team either. But, um you know, I hope for the best for him. But again, it's just uh, they're playing more like a team, and is my sense of it. And that's that's what you have to do to be successful. Mike Babcock's with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine at MD Babs on Twitter. It's where you follow him. I, I look at two different offensive systems, right? I look at look at the Spurs, right? That style of ball where it's space and pace, and it's kind of similar to what Fred wants to do, and you know how good the Spurs teams have been over the years with with the titles. And then I look at like an elite talent where you've got a guy that'll go crank out some MVPs like a Steve Nash or a James Harden where it's that high screen and roll offense where he can distribute or he can step back or get to the rim. So it just it just depends on your personnel. And I was watching last night where I look at Michigan and their ball movement and, and how good they are, and I know they got worked last night by oh. by Illinois, and Illinois is really good, but I think Illinois shares the ball pretty well. Then Michigan State and Indiana came on, and, and they've got elite talent as well, but it was it was one guy dominating the ball, and it was a rock fight offensively because no one was hitting shots. I like, and I'm excited, if I'm a Nebraska fan, for, for Fred's style, and Fred's philosophy offensively, and even McGowns talked about it today, where he's on ball, but he loves to create. And, and earlier in the year, he had guys, I think, worried about getting shots or getting a look, so let's go force it, Babbers. I've seen less forcing it. Uh, I know they've only won two games, but they've been in about you know five of the last six, it feels like. Yeah, well, and... and... You know, heck, Nebraska played Illinois into overtime. I mean, right. And Illinois won last night without without Io DeSumo. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, yeah, I, I, I like the way um, Fred wants to play, and I think that's that's one of the things that's the difficulty when you have so many guys who have transferred in mm-hmm. um, because they come in, and I think when you transfer in like that, um, you kind of have a uh, me first mentality, or you know, that that might not be fair, but but I think getting a group of predominantly transfer players to uh, do the kinds of things that you need to do in that in that system to pass the ball and to move and look for the open shots, uh, rather than just get the ball and go one on one against somebody, 
Um, I think it takes a, it takes time, and it, it's uh, it's been frustrating to watch. But I think that you know we're we're seeing that a little bit now um, because they they do those things, and uh, you know maybe the maybe the guys the transfers are, are feeling more comfortable with each other. And it, you know I think uh, Thor has, has played well in the last couple of games, and uh, you know that's another thing that Nebraska has done. Is hit some three point shots early, had some success there, and then continued to do the things that got him into that position. Uh, keep coming back to that, but you're right, Smitty. That's uh, that's what you have to be able to do, and I think it's difficult when you have so many transfers to uh, make that adjustment quickly. Mike, Nebraska taking on Iowa tomorrow night, and uh, Nebraska's struggled this year when they faced dominant post players. I think of Kofi Coburn's two performances against Nebraska. Uh, and they got another dominant post player tomorrow night and Luca Garza, one of the players of the year. Uh, Nebraska in this one, are, are you watching, hoping for a win, or are you just watching, hoping uh, that you don't want to shut the TV off come uh, about 10 minutes into the second half? Yeah, I don't want to... I just want to see the same kind of approach, you know, offensively. Move the ball and, and do what I've, I'm being redundant here, but um, you have to try to do that, and then and do your best. You know, Garza, that's going to be a that's going to be a handful there. That, that's a load right there. And and uh, and Iowa has shown stretches where it shoots a three point shot pretty well too. So um, there are a lot of problems that uh, present themselves. But again, if if Nebraska plays as a team, you know, I think it can be competitive. It's going to be difficult because uh, Garza's uh, is the real deal. Uh, but uh, um, yeah, you know, again, Nebraska played Illinois at overtime, and and Coburn, Illinois has Coburn, and he's a he's a beast in there too too as well. So um, there's a, there's a there's a chance to to be competitive. I, I don't expect a, uh, an upset, but uh, a chance to be competitive. I think if if they play as a team. Babbers, couple minutes here. Your take on on Husker baseball with Gomez, his injury, and. What'd you take away with Coach Bolt and his presser? Uh, what's the outlook for you here as Husker baseball gets rolling? Well, I'm still, you know, I think that they've, they've got, my sense is they've got pitching depth and they've got young guys that, that you know, on the pitching staff and they've got, uh, you know, uh, Rock, uh, Chance Rock, the transfer. Um, I just think that that's probably the area where I feel um, they needed it and they're going to have it. Even though they lost uh, uh, Colby, and you know that, that's a that's a tough loss, and it's tough for him. Obviously, I feel for him, um, but I do think that they have the the depth on the pitching staff, maybe to absorb uh, the, his loss. And uh, but we'll see. Um, you know, you get off with a you start off with a four game series right off the bat, and you got a doubleheader on Saturday and. And you're going to see a little bit of that uh, that pitching. You're going to have some innings to fill up there, and we'll see what how the pitching goes. But uh, I, I think if they if they got that, um, they have enough of uh, an offensive punch that they can they can be successful. You feel okay about the offense? I mean, Will Bolt's always aggressive, and Will's Will's been a part of, of teams in his career that have won different ways. Yeah, no, I, I do, I do. Um, I, I think I feel good. At, you know, I, I'll mention Banjoff and I'll mention Schwellenbach. 
um, in particular. But I, you know, I think they've got guys that can uh, that hit the ball. And, and you're right, uh, Bolt is aggressive, and uh, you know, I think that he's maybe accomplished the uh, the hard edge that he had uh, when he was a player. He's got that with his team, and I think they're um, if they can be disciplined and and uh, approach game the right way, I think they can they can be successful again with that uh, if the pitching staff is, is what I think it is in terms of depth um, with uh, some of the young arms and the, and the new arms. Got about a minute left here with Mike Babcock. And, Mike, I think a lot of Husker fans define a, a successful season for Nebraska baseball as making an NCAA regional. I know personally for me that's like kind of the measure of how good was Nebraska's season. Did they make a regional? Well, with Nebraska's Big Ten-only schedule this season, uh, is that a realistic standard for this season? Well, I think it is. I think it's realistic in the sense that you need to be pretty good in the Big Ten because, you know, as Will Bolt pointed out, you know, without without any. Well, I'll give you an example. I may have mentioned this already, but the the preseason uh, uh, rankings of the collegiate baseball writers' rankings, preseason rankings, there was one team in there uh, from the Big Ten, Michigan. And then the the first week of the season, you know, the schools are already playing, and uh, and top thirty, the Big Ten didn't have any teams, and I think had only the one team that got votes, um, Michigan. So that, that's tough, you know, for for an RPI. That's tough if your conference doesn't have the respect that uh, it needs. You're going to have to be successful in the conference because I don't think the Big Ten is probably going to get that many teams into the into regionals, so you're going to have to probably be in the top four at least uh, to get that opportunity, and I think Nebraska has the ability to do that. Mike Babcock with us. Babbers, we'll talk next week, buddy. Thanks for jumping on and talking some some ball with us, man. Hey, be safe. All right, you too. There he is, Mike Babcock with us. We'll head to the golf course. Mike Shuard Shuey on the way with Hale Varsity. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Good stuff from Mike Babcock. The pride of Ord is Andy Markowski. We'll hit some state tournament stuff with uh, with Mr. Andy. Get his take on some Husker hoops. Stop rate. Max Olson, great rider with The Athletic. Where does Nebraska rank? Where did Nebraska rank when it comes to the defensive stop rate? We might dive into my, uh, my Modelo rate when I was down in Arizona on the golf course. We welcome in... Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge Golf, and uh, Shuey, it was just phenomenal. It was 72, it was sunny, no wind. Uh, I got to use my dad's clubs. Uh, his putter and his uh, his wedges kicked my butt, but his driver and three wood was, well, it helped me, and I think he was watching down, which is what I'm going to chalk it up to. But I already got some rounds in, brother. I mean, I, I just needed Shuey there swinging with me. I love it, man. You got a little uh, little warm-up before the season starts here. I, I do, and I'm headed back the 17th for another week to, to go nice. play at Pebble Creek. And we played at Wigwam, which was nice. really cool. And I'm thinking we might try and hit the uh, the Air Force Base uh, as well or the, the – you know, kind of by, by the mountain, but that's that's on the docket. But yeah, um, I have uh, – you've worked me out. You've fitted me. And it's been wonderful. And, and the newer clubs I've, I, I have, I hit well, thanks to your expertise. All right. But, but brother, um, 
what a difference the equipment makes. Uh, where have we heard that before? And no uh, the, these clubs the old man had, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, went far and straight, Shoe. I was a happy dude. Got to love it, man. Anytime the equipment can help you, that's always good. That means I don't have to do anything. Let the equipment do all the work. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. How have you been? Tell me how your week's been. You got sunshine. You got wilderness. You got a chance to be a member, man. And that's something that I know that uh, you're excited about as things are, are getting built and, and reconfigured at wilderness. But uh, this type of year and this type of weather has got to make you smile with uh, all the golf on the horizon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, man. I didn't think we would get here. So it's it's been super busy, but exciting at the same time because people are anxious to get out. So we've been getting things ready. Um, sent out our first. We're going to open up on uh, Friday. That's our first day. Sweet. So we opened up the tee sheet for members today at 3 o'clock. So Friday filled up pretty fast, and the weekend's filling up even faster. So people are which is good. They should be anxious to play. It's been a long February, so they're anxious to get out and enjoy some great weather and start playing some golf again. Mike Schuart's with us, Wilderness Ridge Golf, uh, and uh, Shuey, of course, out at Wilderness Ridge. Shuey, I want to go back to to Sunday and the Tiger tribute. And, And A, did you wear any red? And if not, no worries. But B, what did that mean to you as a pro? That's pretty special. That just shows you what kind of respect he has, you know, not only in the golfing community, but just the community in general, you know, it's like what a tribute that the whole field is out there basically trying to emulate Tiger, you know, that's just, that's once in a lifetime, you know, that doesn't come along very often. So that's just how much he, how much respect he has from the players, Uh, not only his game, but what he's done for the game and done for them, you know, those guys are playing for a lot of money, partly because of Tiger, mm. you know, so, and they, they understand that and they appreciate that. Shuey, as you've navigated the, the, the professional level and you've been around the greats and you've won at a high level, I'm interested to your read on Tiger now in 2021 and how people feel about him versus Tiger in, in, in the year 2000, where, I mean, there was, maybe it's jealousy, maybe it was hatred, maybe it's this guy's a jerk, whatever the case may be. Why has the attitude with the younger kids shifted towards Tiger and even some of the old guard that came up with Tiger more sympathetic, maybe not the best word, but more sympathetic towards him or with him with with, with this personality that, that seemed really sandpapery uh, 20 years ago when he was crushing everybody. Yeah, I think two things stand out to me that, that really kind of put Tiger in a different light is that his winning the Masters after coming back from basically, you know, not playing very well for a long time. No one ever thought he'd be back to the level that he was. So just kind of the triumphant story, the comeback story. So that got a lot of people. I think the thing that really changed a lot was the father-son tournament that he played with his kid showed a whole different side of Tiger, um, how much he, his kids mean to him, you know, how much fun he had out with his kid, which is a side that nobody really knew about Tiger. They didn't even know that existed. 
you know. And I think that's him too, changing somewhat is that his kids got older and they're always important to him, but I think he realized how much, how important they really were to him. So uh, that's the one I think changed a lot because people just got to see a side of him that they have never seen. That's, and everyone grows up and changes and we mature. And do you think there's an element of him maybe changing his personality, more of a humble guy? Is that fair? No question. Okay. No question. You know, because he, he was a little humbled, you know, because it's like he can't, as much as your mind says that you want to be the greatest, sometimes your body doesn't respond to what your mind says. We all know that. Anybody that plays golf, what your mind says, sometimes your body doesn't like to do or doesn't do <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> you know, so he got a little humbled. His game wasn't at the level that it was when he was dominant. So, you know, he, I think he started to figure out how to play golf a different way to, ha- to enjoy it more. You know, um, still trying to compete and win, but in a different way, enjoying more of, of playing the game. And uh, when good shots happen, good rounds happen, good tournaments happen, uh, as opposed to it being expected from him, it was more enjoying it when it did happen. So that just happens. You mellow as you get older, you know, you can't stay on top of the world forever. Mike, obviously hoping for the best for uh, for Tiger and his recovery. Um, but it sounds like some, some serious injuries were sustained, and, and, and we don't know if he's ever going to pick up the golf club again on the professional tour. So will, will there ever be anyone like Tiger ever again in the PGA? Oh, you always hate to say never, but it's if you just go through the history of golf, I mean, there's always somebody like Tiger that comes along. You know, you go back, and it was Jack Nicholas. You know, before Jack, it was Arnie. Before Arnie, it was... Ben Hogan, um, Byron Nelson, you know, so as they go, and then, oh, wow, that's the greatest player I've ever seen. I've never seen anybody like it. And then a, then a Palmer comes along. Oh, he's incredible what he does. And all of a sudden, here comes a Nicholas that comes along and shatters all kinds of records, you know. And everybody has said no one will ever touch Jack Nicholas's records. Well, here comes Tiger along, and he's, you know, if he would have stayed healthy, he would have broken his records, you know. So there's always somebody that comes along. You know, just people are really good and people are very talented. And when they find their niche and they develop that and they hone their skills, um, there's, there's always somebody that comes along. So Shoe- it's, it's hard to say never say never. Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge. Shuey will be looking for you Friday, buddy. Thanks again for coming on. Man, I appreciate it immensely. Thanks for having me. All right, there he is, Mike Shuart. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time this hour, 10 minutes away from the Pride of Ord, Andy Markowski warning on the way. We will dive into stoppage rate. Good stuff from Max Olson on just where that uh, Nebraska defense is at and who is number one in college football. A little different college football year. We're not far away from spring football, which is great. Uh, we will get caught up on on Tiger's recovery, and I know that's not new, but there's some some more clarity, I guess, with, with Tiger and, and his injury situation. And uh, our, our good old buddy, uh, Dr. Doug Tavis, is going to be with us here 
in a while. 466-3776-466-37-766-800-825-5865. You want to get a phone call in, you're welcome to do that. Uh, reminder about buckling up. 70% of people in fatal crashes in Nebraska not wearing a seatbelt. If used properly, a seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury by up to 60%. Your best defense in any crash, buckling up. Brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Let's hear from Fred Hoiberg real quick, Elijah, as the mayor uh, had his uh, Zoom session today. And a lot of good things covered. But this was a a fair question by Eric Olson. And specifically, uh, when it comes to why, why do you think the team is getting better, right? We talk about optimism. We'll spend more time on Nebraska and Iowa uh, tomorrow. Uh, We're a couple days removed from the Rutgers win, which was wow. And there's still great energy and optimism because of that. But, you know, Great. You won two in a row, but why do you think big picture it's getting better? I think the the biggest thing our guys have continued to do is they've stayed they've stayed completely locked in with everything that we're trying to teach and, and through all the adversity that we've had to handle. And, you know, I've I've said this, I'm not sure there's a team that had more than we did with the twenty day complete lockout and then having about four and a half practices and then having to play seven games in 12 days in five states. And, you know, it's been a really difficult thing to manage, especially from a fatigue standpoint. And you're still seeing it. You know, in the last eight, nine minutes, we do hit walls. Uh, You've seen our numbers late in games. I think a lot of that is attributed to the fatigue that our guys are going through right now. Uh, But, you know, I I could not be more proud of how they have continued to battle uh, through everything and even the Illinois game which I thought we kind of gave into the fatigue for the first time then you bounce back and you went two straight after that uh, you know just shows everything you need to know about our group so listen Fred, when you hear coaches talk about oh we've been through everything okay I, I believe Fred when he says we've been through hell and back last thought here from the mayor when I was playing, we'd have All-Star break, which was usually four days. And I'd come back from All-Star break, and it felt like I'd never played basketball before. Those first you know, couple days when you're getting ready to play again. I, I think about that. Our guys had five times that amount of time. They had 20 days where they couldn't feel a ball. They couldn't be in the gym. And to continue to come out and battle and fight and claw and scratch, I mean, again, that says everything you need to know about our group. And I've said it since day one. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what a record will be but this is a team i think you can be proud of because of how hard they play and, and how much they care and they've continued to show that uh through every step of the season pretty genuine from the mayor uh been through hell proud of my guys and uh they've kept battling and and i think it's absolutely sincere you're seeing it and you've seen them play well enough to win the last several games husker standout assistant at pius the pride of ord it's Andy Markowski time next on Hale Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmidt underscore radio. Call in at 402 466 ESPN or 1 800 825 5865. Here's Chris Schmidt. Back into it, it's Hour 2. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We welcome in the pride of Ord, 
Eddie Markowski with us, assistant at uh, Pius uh, for girls basketball and a standout Husker. Andy, uh, congrats on on the opening round win for Pius over uh, over Millard Northman. I, I know it's sunny and gorgeous out, huh? but I think it's nose to the grindstone for you guys again before round two. How you been? Yeah, thanks uh, for the. Yeah, the girls got a tough win on on Tuesday and. Uh, Kind of an atypical state tournament format. Normally, you're kind of back at it, getting ready to, to play the the next day, and uh, you know, a couple of days off is going to do us good. It was a, a really physical uh, first round game that uh, you know we just had to grind grind it through. And this time of year, just just win, baby. That's uh, all you need to do. And uh, fortunate to get through there uh, with a win. How do you how do you guys stay patient? Not only just coaches, but players with a, a, a lack of a better term, just I'm going to call it a, a complete stall tactic. But a lot of air taken out of the ball, and you guys love to go fast, and that wasn't always a, an option the other night. But you still, you still wailed away. It was a really good fourth quarter. Yeah, well, yeah, we we, we um, it was a really hard matchup, and, and we knew that that they were going to you know slow it down. They they um, that was. You know, what they felt was their best chance. And, you know, fortunately for us is, is we use offense to create tempo. We don't, we don't pressure. Uh, we, you know, we, we don't press, even though we, we had to a little bit in that game. Uh, I thought our kids did a nice job of, you know, for three days in preparation, uh, kind of understanding that we were going to have to change the way we play defensively a touch just to try to force some tempo uh, with defense. But we're, we're a lot like Nebraska men. You know, Fred plays really, really fast on offense, uh, a lot of possessions. Um, but Doc is is more of a you know half court man, uh, you know pretty pretty uh, protect the lane oriented, um, and then Millard North just did not let us um, you know um, you know pr- pressure them much and then allow us to to use our our offense to get out in conversion and score. So uh, very very you know abnormal game for us. But once again, you know you have to play different styles against different teams this time of year, and, and uh, they forced us to play a, a different game. And uh, you know give our kids credit, they they hung in there and defended. And, and if you defend at this time of year, you got a chance to win. What do you think of Central? I was pretty wowed by their speed and athleticism and size. Yeah, the University of Omaha Central, right? They look they look like a college team. I mean, they uh That's pretty cool. um if you're gonna drop a team, you know, six five and six seven on the front line, they're you know, their guards are, are six foot, five eleven, you know, they have a mid to high major freshman point guard and Jones. So um yeah, it's gonna be a challenge. They're um, uh, you know, probably on paper the the most talented team in, in the state, all, all classes from, from top to bottom on their roster, but um, yeah, we're we're gonna have to go to work the next two days and, and prepare our kids to to, to really uh, you know go go and, and compete against a, a very very talented team in, in Central. Eddie Markowski is with us talking state tournament. We'll get to some college basketball. Andy, when you were in high school, did did you get the the hack a shack treatment? Uh, did you have similar size matchups in high school, or were you the biggest dude in the paint and people just went to town on you trying to to be physical? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, we were Class B, so you know we we played the the, the good Class B schedule. So there's always size, um, you know, that you, that you played against. But certainly, you know, being being physical uh, against big you know big people is uh, is the norm, and you know that's that's um, you know kind of what you expect in the in the late nowadays. I mean, you hand check a 
a little throw point guard at 20 feet and it's a foul, but yet you can, you know, you can tackle a post player and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a no call. So it's, it's, you know, the, the post is officiated very differently and, and it's been that way for forever. And, you know, I think refs always assume, you know, big people can play through more contact while well, you're bigger than them. So you should, you should be able to, to, uh, to handle the, the, the physicality, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I always fouled. I could shoot, you know, in high school, college is where I struggled from the free throw line. So I, I didn't see a lot of hacky shack in, in high school, but but certainly, uh, if you can't make free throws, you're you're going to see that strategy at any level. Andy Markowski is with us. Andy, uh, your take right now on on Nebraska basketball? You feel like there's some momentum and uh, take away with the Rutgers win as Iowa looms tomorrow night. Uh, Knee jerk reaction? Wow, they're they're a different team or just one game? And you've you've got the Teddy element to this discussion point. Yeah. Well, when you when you're on a 30 game losing streak and you won two in a row, you you have to certainly feel like you're there's some momentum there. And and uh, I don't I kind of look at it longer term with this group. I mean, you know, whether they win their next two, lose their next two, win two in the Big Ten tournament. Um, you know, it's been a disappointing year, but they they are really close. I mean, I I believe that. Um, so I, I do think there's momentum in the sense of of where Fred and, and the staff is going to get this program. Um, you know, certainly how it it plays out the remainder of the year. You know, I I, I do think they can you know maybe split the the, the last two regular season. Uh, Games and, and then maybe win one and stick around in, in the Big Ten tournament. You know, you win, you win two is not out of the question. But um, that, that doesn't, um, regardless of what happens, I, I, I do think Fred's the right guy. Uh, the fact that the defense is ahead of the offense really makes me feel good because Fred is going to figure that part of it out. I mean, that's what he's done. He's got a proven track record of that. Um, you know, they've seen a couple more pieces. They, you know, they need to blend what they have, um, you know, which hopefully uh, – you know, COVID is gone, and they're able to have a much more productive spring, summer, and fall than what they had this, this last year. Because I, I do think that hurt him blending this group with just team chemistry and understanding roles. I mean, I think the staff was a little behind on what each player could do as well. Talking with Andy Markowski here on Hale Varsity Radio, former Husker basketball standout. And Andy, Nebraska basketball had its best offensive performance of the year once Teddy Allen was off the roster. Is that a coincidence, or is there something to that? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's just one one variable. Um, you know, certainly, you know, Teddy was an immensely talented offensive player. Um, you know, so confident, felt like he could, you know, really beat his 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 person uh, every time he had the ball. So the ball, you know, sometimes stopped. And you know, in, in college, when the ball doesn't move, defenses get set. And it's, it's hard to score. Um, so you know, I, I do think um, you know there there was possessions and, and stretches of games where where Teddy didn't help the offense. But there's also games where he was the best player in a Nebraska uniform. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see how the rest of the year plays out. But I, I think people are wrong by saying, uh, you know, addition by subtraction. You know, all of a sudden you get rid of him and, and now you can play offense. I, I think it's more multifactorial. And, you know, now whether, whether there's some chemistry issues that, that affected it more, I, I would say that would potentially – harm a team more than, than, than somebody on the court. Um, but, you know, that's uh, – um, I don't know any of that to be fact, and you know you wish you wish Teddy luck, but but certainly that was a you know a high risk sign, um, you know at a point of the program where we didn't have a lot of talent, but you know I'm fortunate to, to hire people into my profession, and, and usually a, a pattern on the resume. Um, there's a reason uh, why 
why things play out the way they do. And, you know, Teddy certainly had a pattern of, of that behavior, and, and, you know, it proved out to be true again. Couple more minutes. Andy Markowski is with us here, Hale Varsity Radio, talking some uh, Nebraska basketball, some high school hoops. So, when it comes to, to chemistry, and Andy, you were you were a captain. How is that handled, or how would how should that be handled? Where you've got fit, you've got talent, and then you've got personality. All of that uh, being mixed in to this cocktail, right? How do you how do you navigate that where you want to go get the most talented dudes that can score? You also yeah. have a system offensively that when it's flying around and they're working the ball around the horn with either back cuts or kickouts or driving kicks, you see what it can be. And, and, and again, you touched on it a little earlier when it comes to kind of meshing all of that. And with COVID, it, it maybe screwed some things up for Nebraska and other programs here. But uh, what's, the, what's the, the magic sauce, so to speak, to be able to do that? And what, what's your experience uh, allowed you to, to, to kind of witness through your career at Nebraska when it comes to the yeah. chemistry and talent? Yeah, well, it's you know it's, those are all very complex, you know, uh, you know problems. So you know it, it really starts with can you define the culture uh, of what you what your program to be? And you know I think Fred has turned over the roster a few times, or maybe he, he hasn't been able to establish that culture. Where when people come into it, um, you know it's it's it's, it's you kind of know what what it is and, and what it's about, and the young kids can can learn from the older kids. Uh, that's kind of how we had it, right? We, you know, we kind of uh, ushered Pajkowski and Chubbuck and them out. They had Strickland and Badgett, uh, you know, which were leaders. And then Teron and I, you know, so you, you kind of had that, that, that consistency of, of, of a roster where, you know, I don't know if Fred has been able to instill that, uh, you know, what he truly wants as his culture. Now, pl- players define that. They place themselves. Um, you have to find kids that, you know, want to win before they want themselves to go to the NBA. It's not you know, it's not wrong that they have those goals and, and, and dreams of, of playing professionally and, and providing for their families. But you have to table that for the betterment of, of the team. And, and, you know, you can, you know, try to pick up on some of that stuff through recruiting. And then, um, you know, I think the, the one thing, and this is speculation, um, I, I think when you take as many transfers as, as we have, have uh, taken over the last year, they come with the anticipation to play. I mean, that's been told to them, hey, we don't have a point guard, we don't have a wing, we don't have very much depth, we don't have a front line. You know, we started a freshman center, you have a chance to come in and play. I think Fred had to cater to a lot of of that where I don't know if he ever got settled on a rotation where he got his best kids on the floor playing the most minutes. Um, You know, where I think maybe he felt, you know, when you you have a kid for a year and you told him, hey, come in, you know, this is a great opportunity for you to play, you know, your, your graduate year. You know, you're a little obligated to, to make sure they're getting on the floor. I, I never really felt like we settled into a good rotation. And then when COVID hit, you know, once again, I think that affected that. Or where, you know, you play eight games in, in what, 17 days, and you need to play more kids. And, um, you know, people are recovering from COVID, so they can't play as much. So he had a lot lot of stuff going on, which, you know, I think um, we'll never know the impact that that had. But until they get their chemistry and their culture right, um, you're not going to win in the top five or six in the in the Big Ten. It's just too well of a coach league with with upperclassmen, and you know, in the end, you have to have NBA players to to, to win at that level. So, what happens Thursday against Iowa? Nebraska have the ability to hang in it, or is Iowa sharpening up for uh, for postseason? What do you think? 
Yeah, I haven't seen a ton of, of Iowa uh, play. I mean, obviously Garza is, is, is a monster. And two years ago, we had no post depth. Um, you know, I think Walker is, is a really good post defender. Um, I don't know if he's big enough. Um, even though he did a you know really good job against Illinois, big. Um, we well, you know we're deeper, right? We we can play three bigs at Garza. Doc is is usually pretty crafty on on trying to take the uh, opponent's best player away. Um, but Iowa shoots it so well, you know, at the, at their guard spots. If you start you know really doubling Garza, uh, they they can hurt you. But I don't think Iowa overtalents you. Um, I think it's a game that that uh, our length um, and athleticism could could have an impact in that game. Uh, we're going to have to shoot it better, you know, limit your turnovers. The margin against those types of teams are pretty small. We just have not been able to shoot a good free throw percentage. And then, you know, our turnovers against the best teams have been 16, 17, 18. And, you know, those are recipes to get you beat. So they're, they're going to have to be sharp in those two areas. And, and we'll kind of see. I was a, you know, Final Four Elite Eight talented team. So I'll be anxious to see how we stack up against them. Eddie, you spent time before we let you go. And thanks again. Uh, I know you got some prep to do. But, um, you spent a lot of time as as a coach, and and you were at the Division One level, and yeah, the carousel murmurs starting to happen as, as tournament week uh, is around the corner. What's what's the highest profile job you believe is going to be open? Well, I, I, Indiana could could open. You know, I don't know the relationship there uh, with the coach to AD. I think that's one of those where you know either you feel good about it or or you just have to make a, a change. I mean, you know, I, I think the performance has been you know okay, but 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 certainly Indiana is like Nebraska football, right? I mean, you know, sometimes you know getting to the tournament or or you know. Um, Having a good season is not not good enough, but you know that's college athletics. Um, you know I don't feel sorry for for any of them. I mean they all won the Powerball. I mean these guys are signing five and six year, uh, eighteen you know fifteen to eighteen million dollar deals. Um, so they they know what they signed up for, and, and you know the expectation level to win is high. Um, but when they don't win, you know they 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 tend to walk away with life changing money. So um, you know they'll they'll land you know somewhere else and and you know probably get another another opportunity down the road. So I uh, sympathy kind of stopped. I remember Danny was making about three hundred k in in the nineties and was always mad at Tom Osborne because Tom would never take a raise. So it always set the bar low for the rest of the the university coaches. You know, so that always sticks in my head. Like you know in the nineties that was the money. Now it's you know, it's just astronomical what what they make. Um, so getting fired is, you know, they'll 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 make it. They're they're going to have enough to pay the mortgage next month. I can hear the accent and the frustration <laughs> in Danny's voice. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes Danny let us into his uh, underworld, especially when he was on the hot seat in the you know in the kind of the ninety eight ninety nine. Um, you know, we we felt that. I mean, he he he. he challenged us that you know he's not going to get fired on our on our behalf (laughs) certainly uh you know let let us know that we better better play hard or the next day we're going to be miserable so um you know you you feel that um but um you know you hope coaches don't you don't bring that into the the season but you know those are real pressures that they feel and nobody you know, I'm not trying to minimize the fact that somebody losing their job because the family's affected right. and kids and moving and all that. But the reality of, 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 of high major college sports is, you know, if you don't win year four to year six, you know, they're, they're, they're going to move on and, and try to press the new buttons. Uh, don't you feel the Danny and he love, brother? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Andy Markowski. <laughs> Andy, we'll see you Friday night. Thanks for the time, bud. All right. Thanks, guys.
Got to love the pride of Ord. Andy Markowski, thoughts on high school hoops, Husker basketball. The coaching carousel will hit stoppage rate on the way next. Chime in, 402-466-ESPN, or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Coming up, uh, the latest on Tiger's recovery with our friends from uh, uh, LOC, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. Dr. Doug Tavis going to be with us. Good story on stop rates. With college football, right? And, and we know 2020 was a unique year, which didn't necessarily mean everybody got an equal number of games. Nebraska didn't get Wisconsin. Iowa didn't get to show down uh, and show out against Michigan. Uh, nor did they uh, get to, to play their bowl game. So when we talk about the defensive effectiveness right now, what does stop rate mean? Stop rate is is pretty simple. What what do you get done defensively here with situational football? Do you get off the field after uh, the offense gets a football in a uh, turnover, punt, kickoff, whatever? So defensively, how many drives end with a punt? a turnover on downs, or just a turnover. So interesting here, the number one defensive effectiveness football team in 2020 was Iowa. 81% of drives Iowa stopped. It was either a turnover, it was either a punt, it was either a turnover on downs. Wisconsin was number two. Indiana was number nine. Clemson was in at 10. Northwestern was 12th. Okay. Where'd Nebraska figure in? Per Max Olson's research, say it with me, 92. And 57.4% of drives against Nebraska ended with a black shirt stop. Uh, 94 drives, 2.35 points per drive. Here's what I, I, I go to. Was the defense better? Yes. Did they look better? Yes. Were they more physical? Absolutely. Were they deeper? Yes. Did they win some ball games? Hell yes, they did against Penn State with the way the secondary played. But I saw most of the time, again, the Illinois game will be burned into your memory. Aside from the Illinois game, I saw Nebraska's defense with like three guys around the ball carrier, period. What held Nebraska back last season was clearly their turnovers and clearly their offense. Wasn't the defense. It was special teams and offense holding hands, uh, urinating on the defense. That's what it was. right? That's how it felt. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. When I look at Nebraska's defensive effectiveness – I flip it around and say, okay, the defense played well enough to win against Northwestern. 20 points is what was allowed. 26 points is what was allowed against Iowa. And Elijah, I look at the offensive yards. Nebraska, yardage-wise, kicked the hell out of Northwestern. Yardage-wise, put up a lot of yards 
against Iowa. I mean, think of those two games when we're talking stop rates. That's where my head goes is, geez, how bad Nebraska's offense was in the red zone or capitalizing or settling for three. We're talking stop rates. How many drives should have ended in points for Nebraska against Iowa? Mm. Or you, you were at least in Iowa territory, right? You crossed the 50. Or you were in Northwestern territory. Two of the top 12 teams in college football, granted abbreviated year, but Nebraska's offense was a far cry from the finished or consistent product. And what they were able to do, moving the ball-wise, is is, you have to kind of go, wow, this could end up being okay at some point. But that's where my head goes with this. It's, wow, Iowa and Wisconsin and Northwestern and and, and, and Indiana and Clemson all really good with stop rates. And Nebraska's defense, 92nd out of 130, not great. But what my eyes tell me is the defense is better. And Nebraska made some pretty big stops defensively. But I go back to the offense, and I say, wow, uh, look at what Nebraska could have done. And those are two games you look back on last season as a Nebraska football fan and go, they could have worse split them at best one because Nebraska's driving against Iowa, ball game. Nebraska's driving against Northwestern, ball game. And it was, again, two really good defenses we're talking about that made the plays to stop Nebraska i.e. stoppage rate, but Nebraska was right there. They had many chances to win the football game. Final drive against Iowa, last two minutes. You're, you're, you're motoring, and, and God, you have that turnover in the third quarter down in the red zone against Northwestern, couple of red zone turnovers. So I, I guess in a roundabout way, uh, you played as bad as you did offensively last year against those two teams when we talk defensive effectiveness. And if you just kind of get out of your own way uh, and the defense keeps improving, maybe 2021 can be a bit brighter. And I haven't done the math here, um, but it should be noted that this was a shortened season against only Big Ten teams mm-hmm. um, who, for the most part... So there's no gravy against Northwest exactly. East Alabama State. Exactly. And then I look at two games in particular, Ohio State and Illinois, where for the second half against Ohio State, Nebraska's defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. And for most of the game against Illinois, Nebraska's defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. How about two drives? The offense is in Ohio State territory, and it's two fumbles, and then there's a strip sack, a scoop, and a score. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, I mean that, that's, that's part of this too. So it kind of goes back to what Coach McBride was saying, where he's pretty optimistic about things getting better. We're, we're in football free mode right now so we're, we're anxious for for spring ball to get here we're anxious to talk quarterbacks we're anxious to talk about newcomers we're anxious to find out about a running back but man this this story by max and i don't know max i know he's close with mitch sherman we'll talk with mitch tomorrow but i, I guess the the beer being half full and you can totally say well my beer's half gone be the non-optimistic Nebraska fan, and, and there's not a lot to, to be cheering about if you want to be like just dead even, dead on realist. But you're not playing good football offensively, and you're doing that not at your best. I think kind of goes back to the, well, 
Uh, are you closer to winning 11 or 12 games if you're winning eight to nine games a year? <laughs> or are you closer to moving to three or four wins a season, right? You would think you're closer to getting over the hump. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the teams at the top. And the teams that had success last season uh, and, and were kind of in every single game they played last year, their, their defense kept a minute, mm-hmm. they had a stop rate. 65% plus. Nebraska this past season was about 58%. And they were allowing uh, their team to less than two points per possession, whereas sure. Nebraska's at 2.3. So they're close in both. Where if you think if they get seven stops and drives throughout the season, you can get your uh, your percentage up to 65%. Can I add one more little nugget to this? Sure. How many drives did somebody take over at the 50 or mm. better? Mm. How many drives did Nebraska have to grab their helmet, jump on the field, because you had a turnover? Mm. Not only the emotional kick in the you-know-what from, oh, yay, they're driving, and now they just turned it over. Or here's a pick in the end zone. <laughs> but how about, oh, okay, they're at the 50. Oh, they're at the four. Oh. Yeah, one first down, and they didn't get field goal. They didn't get your points. <laughs> How many times did Nebraska's defense have to say, oh, son of a bee, let's grab our mouthpiece, jump out on the field, and go try and stop a short field? Or even territory. Very few. I'd like to see. I think Illinois did really well. I mean, they said they gashed the hell out of Nebraska. But I don't know that there was a lot of 80- or 90-yard drives or even 70-yard drives on Nebraska. It was all... Oh, somebody forgot to cover the, 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 the return man, so there's a punt or kickoff return that starts him out at the 40, or here's a turnover that starts him out at the 40, either 40, and then you factor that into stoppage rate. So on their face, without a turnover or a horror, I don't know how many kicks were out of the end zone either. So, I mean, there, there's some other numbers, but I think Nebraska's 92 ranking is a victim of their offensive turnovers and their special teams play. It, their defense was better than the 92. Numbers are numbers. I get it. They weren't perfect. They weren't 09 vintage, but they were better. And, and uh, you're not going to get an 09 vintage performance from the defense in this year's college football. I mean, that's, what, that's why I was looking at those numbers at the, at the top. Getting a stop on 65% of drives isn't great, but in the modern college football world, it's enough that you you can be a top twenty five team if your defense gets you off the field sixty five percent of the uh, gets the other offense off the field sixty five percent of the time. And and there's there's your window. There's your window to win by ten to thirteen points. Factor in a turnover. Mm. Factor in field position. Factor in special teams, and you get that extra possession and you score on it, and you don't get nailed for a holding. So yeah, it, the, it is the, what the it jump is. the defense has to make next year is get one more stop. Get one more possession a game where you're... Kick one more ball out of the end zone, Elijah. Exactly. It's, it's the little things for this defense, and obviously the offense has to, has to show great improvement, but I think this defense is close despite what these numbers say. You know, I, I mean, I, well, Shenander's take on this would be totally, doesn't matter. Got to grab your hard hat, go out there, stop them, whether it's adverse situation or not. Uh, we'll spend some time on Tiger Woods uh, injuries and uh, the latest from Dr. Doug Tavis, kind of an update here on Tiger's outlook. Uh, we'll spend some more time maybe tomorrow on the op-ed response to Governor Ricketts 
from uh, those in the pro-medical marijuana community. That includes our friend Grant Wistrom, and uh, he was his name was on this op-ed response. It was written by a professor down at Doan, I believe, and Wistrom uh, put his name on it in support. And Grant's been pretty outspoken and, and very analytical and very honest about uh, his take and feelings on medical marijuana. And he had a response by the governor at the end of February uh, about medical marijuana use. I want to remind you about your friends at West Blue Realty. Are you going to move in 2021? West Blue Realty specializes in residential home sales in Lincoln and surrounding communities. Uh, I can make this next move uh, phenomenal for you. Uh, Give uh, Tom Luby a shot at 402-540-3768. Give Kelly Hofschneider a call. They can both help with West Blue Realty. 402-202-2312. It pays to work with West Blue. 1120 K Street, Suite 200. Get an appointment today. WestBlueRealty.com. And Jock Doc on the way with Hale Varsity. He's in his 30s. But sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. We say hi to Dr. Doug Tavis. Dr. Doug, what do you know? How you been? Well, I'm doing good. I love this weather. That is about right, isn't it? And I brought it back from Arizona with me, just just for you and uh, and everybody. But uh, yeah, this weather is outstanding. It is golfing weather, Doctor Doug. And uh, let's uh, spend a little bit of time on on Tiger Woods. I know we touched on it last week uh, initially, but uh, such uh, serious injuries for Tiger. And um, wanted to get your thoughts here with with Tiger as. Uh, we're talking tibia and fibula and other injuries, not only on his legs, but feet and ankle and uh, different surgeries here. Let's start with the the use of the rods, the screws, and the pins on Tiger and, and, and that process as you try and put Tiger back together. Yeah, so... You know the tibia fracture is the is the um, fracture that gets the rod. Um, so um, you know it's the large bone uh, in your leg, and it's the one that um, was the open fracture, um, which means that the skin got broke and the bone got exposed to the uh, uh, to the um, uh, outside, um, and. That's a you know obviously concerning injury. He also had uh, the compression um, of the compartments in his leg um, and had to have those released. So this is a little bit sort of like you know what could uh, well it could have been very much like the Alex Smith uh, kind of an injury. Um, and so when we're dealing with that, and anytime we have a tibia fracture, we worry about this thing called compartment syndrome. Um, but uh, when we're dealing with that, um, we a lot of times we will prophylactically release the uh, compartments um, and take away the pressure from uh, those compartments so that we don't end up having uh, the detrimental problems of, of muscle dying and, and things like that. 
Um, and so it's a, it's a pretty common thing actually to do the compartment release, which which Tiger had. Um, the rotting itself, the tibial bone itself, um, uh, really responds pretty well uh, to the rotting. And so you put the rod in from the top down, and once you're able to uh, to do that, uh, you've got the bone stabilized. And the stabilization of the bone is a big part of what um, that, uh, and that's a big concern if you have an open fracture. Dr. Doug Davis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. We're talking some follow-up with Tiger Woods, his surgeries, uh, rods, screws, pins, and uh, you have that, uh, that, that, that release, that compression that you touched on. And take me through that process of, of how you go about it. I don't mean to get too graphic or too sure. grotesque, but just I, I can only imagine that pressure buildup and, and it needing to be released. And I'm wondering how medically you guys go, go through and go about your business that way. Sure. So the, um, the muscles are surrounded by a tight layer of tissue called the fascia. And um, that layer of tissue um, kind of holds the, the different compartments of muscles together. Um, and again, without being too graphic, we can all, you know, think about the, you know, the uh, piece of steak that we've seen that has had, mm-hmm. you know, a layer of tissue around it, right? Sure. Um, so that layer of tissue, um, we can cut through and basically allow the um, pressure internally to be released. And then what is encompassing the muscle is the um, subcutaneous tissue, the fat tissue, and the skin. Well, there are times where um, the pressure is so high or in the muscular compartments that we even have to leave that open um, in order to allow for that pressure uh, to be um, such that the muscle internally will survive. Um, so when we have a tibia fracture like this, um, we have a very high uh, concern for compartment uh, uh, syndrome, and um, we, will, we have a, min- a monitoring device that we can stick into the muscular compartment, and it can tell us what the number is in terms of how high the pressure is in uh, millimeters of mercury. And um, as we do that, we have cutoffs that we say, okay, this is too high, and we have to do a release um, in order to accomplish that. So it's an incision, as you might expect, and then we get down into that, uh, that uh, fascial layer, that hard uh, tissue around the muscle, and we uh, literally use the scissors to move, it up and, uh, move up and down through the compartment in order to release it. Dr. Doug Tavis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. Uh, follow up here to Tiger Woods and his injuries. Dr. Doug with, uh, with Tiger and uh, the Alex Smith discussion point, and we've done a couple of Jock Docs over the years on Alex and his recovery, and it's been, recovering. It's been incredible. It's been remarkable. And that documentary is, wow, for, for him to, to battle back despite the, the different the many surgeries on his leg. Amazing. Danger level for Tiger uh, with with infection on his leg. Is Tiger looking or could he face a similar lengthy recovery? I'm just talking to walk and be a dad uh, to what Alex went through because, I mean, I mean, 
Alex almost lost his leg, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, so what happened with Alex is, quite frankly, unusual. Um, um, we grade these fractures as far as how um, uh, severe the open exposure of the bone has been to the external environment. We grade it, and the higher the grade, the worse you know it is in terms of the likelihood of getting infection. So in, in Tiger's case, I don't have any information to know you know, how severe that was in, in terms of the bone exposure to the external environment. But it suffice it to say that the vast majority of these injuries are the grade one and grade two injuries, whether, yes, we are very concerned about the exposure and we're concerned about infection, but it really is not all that common that we go on to have an infection. And that's because we, you know, do things that we know will prevent that. You know, we we uh, get them into surgery right away. We get washed out really well. We get on high-powered antibiotics. Um, so, and we stabilize the bone. That's probably the most important thing. We get that bone stabilized. So I, I would say that it would be an unusual event if he were to have uh, the, the kind of thing that happened, you know, that happened with Alex. Um, these things do happen. We all hear the stories. Um, it, it's the kind of things that make orthopedic surgeons stay up at night, you know, worrying about things. But um, um, I would expect that that, that uh, tibial fracture is going to heal up, and he's going to be able to uh, move well on that. Um, the foot and ankle that that's going to be a that's going to be a bigger issue, I think, for him in terms of his return to participation in golf, in particular. Um, but uh, even for you know just being able to move around well, the foot and ankle may be the bigger issue. Dr. Doug Tavis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. Dr. Doug, thanks for your insight on this. We'll get caught up again. Appreciate your time today. Yeah, enjoy the weather when you can. All right. There he is, Dr. Doug Tavis, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. Wind down a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time. So I'm just kind of looking at the basketball schedule. I'll have Norris at 1.30 on Friday. We'll have South should say Pius and Central 6 o'clock Friday night. And we'll uh, squeeze in a Hale Varsity in between on Friday. How's that sound down at Pinnacle Bank Arena? And, uh, yeah, and then Mozi will have some championship Saturday coverage for you and then a full slate of boys' state for you next week here on ESPN Lincoln. And don't forget also, good friends up at uh, News Talk 900, our affiliate in Columbus with Gus and Company. Uh, they are covering their local area teams you need to check out. And Doug Duda, the Hall of Famer, Doug's awesome. He's in town covering uh, all sorts of, of high school basketball for Girls State and for Boys State with 1460-1550, Garney Hastings, Grand Island. So I got to bump into Duda. I know he's been just all over working, 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 but I need to need to find Duda this weekend down at PBA. That'd be all right. Man, how just awesome does it feel 
to like have fans back in the stands. Of state. Like, I, I, mean, I think about, I can't believe it was a year ago, but I remember like Nebraska State basketball was empty and like they were showing all the highlights on sports. We weren't, yeah, we, weren't, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to do a game, oh, yeah. let alone getting a chance to see Hunter Salas and, and Chucky Hepburn go at it, right? And uh, we, we got it. We were so blessed to be able to do coverage. Think, thankful for that. Um, I, I look at this last calendar year is just nuts, just crazy for all of us. And uh, I've had to endure, endure a lot, uh, and you've made it, and it's getting better, and that's incredible. And it's going to be mid-60s, and you're going to be able to go have a cocktail in the rail yard, or you're going to be able to go check out the Haymarket, or you're going to check out downtown Lincoln, or you're going to drive to South Point, or you're, whatever you're going to do if you're in town, or you're maybe uh, a Lincolnite, great. But it's going to feel normal, and it sounds normal. And when it's uh, the scores between Southwest and Central, every every shot is a is a huge bucket because the score has just changed, which we had yesterday. And it sucks for Southwest because I love those kids. Um, Speaking of fans in the stands, I just saw this news on Twitter. Uh, it's from uh, Kellen Haviken. Uh, he is a uh, no. No, just whatever. I mean, he he talked with uh, with Ted Carter. He says Ted Carter expects fans in the stands come this fall. I know it's obviously way early to be uh, to be um, even speculating on that because so many things can change. But that is positive that Ted Carter thinks maybe fans in the stands this fall. He said full capacity. Well, you're right, and and you I mean you're hearing the moose kind of throw out the hey, let's get local control, let's get local control, yeah, right? I mean, I mean, to me, it sounds like a, a move putting pressure on the Big Ten, saying we want to have full st- fans in the stands, and and we uh, and we're kind of pushing for that now. We think we can do it, so I think it's kind of putting the pressure back in the Big Ten to, to start start forward with that process. And, and and what happens when you pressure the Big Ten? They turn it over. <laughs> uh, sounds like the Nebraska offense. But I'm saying it. They they turn it over. Oh, you're going to sue us? Maybe you can kick off, right? I mean, so, good. Just stay the hell out of the way, Big Ten. Let local authority make their call. Mm. Let health officials be safe. Back at you tomorrow at 4. Tale Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Thanks for hanging out.